Matthew 6, 33. You want to read it with me? Let's read it together. One, two, three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Uh, so that's, that's, our, that's our overarching um, scripture, and, and the key here is, is uh, getting our priorities straight, making sure that we've got the first things first, and obviously from the scripture there, uh, seeking the kingdom of God and all that is entailed in that uh, is, is part of that, that emphasis. So tonight, uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 13, that's where I'm mainly going to be reading out of, and I'll kind of be jumping around, uh, throwing out some scripture references. But uh, I'm, I'm just going to, before I begin speaking, I'm just going to pray a little bit more, and then we'll begin. Um, Father, we just we thank you for this this time to read and to learn and to uh, be built up by your word, Lord and. Father, I, I pray for grace, Lord, to uh, have open hearts to receive your word, God. Lord, that we would have uh, focused minds, Lord. I pray that you would help us not to be distracted, Lord, or to think on other things, but, Father, to focus our attention on your word and, and what you have for us, Lord. God, I pray for grace to communicate and to speak, Lord, uh, what you've given me. And, and Lord, we thank you, Father, that our, our hearts are, are made uh, good, soft, fertile soil to receive the seed that is your word. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, we're going to be talking about the priority of lordship. And um, first, what I'd like to do is briefly address why the Lordship of Christ is important, why it should be a priority. Uh, and I'll just spend a little bit of time on that. And then I would like to spend the rest of our time on the much more difficult task of submitting our lives to Jesus as Lord. Uh, easier said than done, right? So uh, let's start. I'm going to read Romans 10.9. It says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I'm gonna, my, my first reason for why the Lordship of Christ uh, is so important may be a little shocking, and it may even kind of sound a little um, off base, but, but stick with me here because I, I, I want to build kind of a foundation of, of where I'm coming from with this. And, and the first and primary reason uh, why it's important to have Jesus as our Lord is because our very salvation depends on it. It's, it's linked to it. Uh, now, we understand that salvation is by faith, right? It's not by works. It's not by anything that we can do that we are saved. Christ did the work. And, and we believe, we put our trust in him, and, and we're saved. However, the Bible makes it very clear that saving faith will produce the works of God. It will produce a heart that places Christ at the top, that places him in the position of Lord, 
and therefore we, we gladly obey our Lord's commandments. Uh, let me show you a couple of scriptures. James 2.18, now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. First uh, John 2.3, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, and this is what we're saved to. Not saved by, but saved to. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. So it's clear in these texts and throughout the New Testament that faith unto salvation produces obedience to Jesus. Uh, and, and to his commands. When we are born again, sin is no longer our master. Jesus becomes our Lord. And there is a, there is a direct link in scripture between saving faith in Christ and the Lordship of Christ. And Jesus reiterated this in, in John chapter 15. This is kind of at the end of what we're going to read. If you want to just flip over since you're right there. Uh, he reiterated this uh, in, in John 15 at the end of the chapter. And then in this same passage, he also gives the other primary reason why it is so important to make Jesus our Lord. So if you look at John 15, 8, it says, when you produce much fruit. So in other words, when you, when you do the things that I tell you to do, that's fruit, right? When you produce much fruit... You are my true disciples. And here's the second reason. This brings great glory to my Father. So you see the the reiteration. We produce fruit or obey the commands of Christ or follow him as Lord, and we prove ourselves to be true disciples of Christ. So we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. But someone who is saved by faith and and is born again, is born again into a heart that gladly serves God. So you see the tie there? And that's why it's so important that we make and keep Christ as our Lord. And then in the second sentence of, of the verse there, we see the second reason that having Jesus as our Lord is so important. And that reason is, is that it brings glory to God. When we do what Jesus has called us and told us to do, it glorifies God. It brings glory. It, it, it points uh, and magnifies and, and, and uh, declares with actions that he is beautiful and wonderful and awesome. And you see, uh, bringing glory to God is the highest purpose of our existence. There is no purpose that exists above bringing glory to God. All the things that we do, uh, reading his word and learning about him, worshiping him, praying to him, evangelizing the world, all of these things are for the purpose of bringing glory to God. And uh, directly tied to that is something great. You know, God always sets things up uh, what does it say? All things work together for our good, right? 
And so the way God set it up is that not only is our highest purpose to bring him glory, but we find our greatest joy. We find the greatest satisfaction and fulfillment in our life when we most glorify God. And so it's a glorious exchange. We get the joy and he gets the glory. And it's all tied into uh, this, this making Christ, making Jesus our Lord. So with these two great reasons to make the Lordship of Christ a priority in our lives, let's now look at how we go about doing these things in our lives. How, we, how, how do we practically and spiritually implement the Lordship of Christ in our life? The Greek word used for Lord in the New Testament is kurios. I'll spell it for you. K-U-R-I-O-S. It means supreme in authority, controller, master. So when we say that Jesus is our Lord, we are saying that Jesus is the supreme authority in our lives. We're saying that there is no higher command, there is no higher authority in our lives than Jesus. That means that what Jesus tells us to do, we should do. So the question that we should ask ourselves is, if we really want to make Christ Lord, is what is the command of Jesus? What has Jesus told us to do? Well, in Matthew 22, 35 through 40, Jesus says that he sums up, he gives a summary of all of the Bible. He says all of the law and all of the prophets are summed up in this, in what I've just said. So let's read that. That's an important passage. Uh, Matthew 22, 35. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So all of our duty to Jesus is summed up with these two great commandments. I've taught them to my sons like this. Love God most, love others like yourself. And those are the two great commandments of Christ. All of the New Testaments, including the teachings of Jesus and his apostles, unpacks the massive weight of those two great commandments. And it can all be summed up. It all sums up and works up to those. So if Jesus is our Lord and he has laid before us his commandments, then life of making Christ his Lord should be easy, right? It's just, it's easy. We got this, right? Uh, I know, I know right now there's, there's not a person in here who can stand up and say, nailing it. I'm nailing it, right? Can anybody say that? Not this guy. Uh, you know, the problem is that we find that our sinful nature leads us to break these commandments again and again and again. 
So it seems that over and over, instead of keeping Christ as Lord, we demote him from the place of Lord. And so right now, I would like to show you biblically how we are to position ourselves for Christ, not only to, to be our Lord, because he is our Lord when we're born again, when we're saved, but to, to remain as our Lord. So uh, we're going to go to John 13. If you're on your phone, I'm going to read from uh, New Living Translation. And in John 13, uh, you know, I was just going to read from John 15. Whenever I was preparing this, I, I started in John 15, and then I kind of read, and I was like, ooh, what's right before this? And I went back and a chapter, and then I said, oh, that's good. I'm going to include that. And I went back another chapter, and I, I found that, that all of John 13 through 15, and maybe even uh, a couple of chapters more, it all is tied up into one discourse that Jesus was giving to his disciples. And it wasn't just any discourse. It was probably the most important discourse and teaching that Christ gave his disciples because John 13 through 15 was in the upper room uh, right after they had eaten the Passover meal together. And, and he had just kind of pointed out, hey, somebody's going to betray me. And then Judas uh, Iscariot left the room and he went to betray Jesus. And it was at that point that Jesus began to teach the 11 who would remain faithful to him, knowing that shortly thereafter he would be arrested and uh, crucified and eventually uh, leave them. So starting here in, we're going to go close to the end, chapter 13, verse 33. He says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Similar language, right, to Matthew. Um, I forgot the passage we just read about the great commandments. Um, he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. Just, or, I'm sorry, messing up the tense. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So here we see Jesus elaborating on the second great commandment. Uh, not only are we to love all people like we love ourselves, treat others as you would want to be treated, right? Uh, not only are we to do that, but now he's saying that we are to love other believers just like Jesus loved us. That means that we are to sacrifice for the good of other believers. We are to lay down our lives for the spiritual good of the other people in our church. That's how you can kind of boil that down. And that is a weighty and a difficult commandment. And the reason that it's weighty and the reason that it's difficult is that the church is filled with mostly flawed and annoying and arrogant and untalented and unlovable people. And I'm one of them and you're one of them. <laughs> At times. Uh, now that doesn't seem quite fair, does it? You know, uh, but do you know what? You know, what does he say? He doesn't say, 
love people because I told you so. He says, love people the way that I loved you. And even when we were flawed and sinful and in rebellion against God, Jesus came and laid his life down and purchased our salvation so that we could be reconciled to God through faith. It was an unfair and a scandalous exchange on the part of Christ. He got our sin. We got eternal life. What, a, what an unbalanced, unfair exchange. And you know what he says? He says, even when it is difficult, even whenever someone is annoying to you, even whenever it puts you uh, at a disadvantage, maybe at your time or financially, even if it's a relationship where you have to give and give and give with no possibility of getting anything in return. You love the believers as I have loved you. And so that's what he's saying here. And how do we find the grace for that? How do we find that? You know, we find that by looking and we reflect on what a sinner I was. And Christ loved me. You know, there's a scripture, can't think of the verse, but it says you must forgive others because Christ has forgiven you, especially other believers. So, um, what does Jesus say that this type of love does? Look again at verse 35, and this is really, 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 really important. Uh, verse 35 says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So perhaps the greatest witness that we as a church can have for the community around us, for the unbelievers who are on the outside looking in, perhaps the greatest witness that we can have is to be a church that loves one another. And perhaps the greatest detriment to the faith of unbelievers is a divided and an unloving church. And, you know, we live in a culture that is all about individualism, that is all about, uh, you know, we have everything in our homes that we could need to be entertained, uh, to, to meet our, um, what we think is our needs, I guess would be the, the best way to say it. <clears throat> but I want to challenge you, I want to challenge me to be a people that shifts our thinking and begins to put the gathering of the believers as a, first to understand how important it is uh, to bind our lives together. You know, uh, Laura and I were talking the other day, I'm kind of going off my notes here, but I just feel the Lord kind of speaking in this, you know, this is our core group here. Um, you know, we were talking the other day, you know, a lot of times we, we hear about uh, Sunday circles or a home group or uh, the life groups or, or a man church or ladies meeting or all these small group activities 
that we have, and and our first thought is is um, well, how can and we don't say it this way, but it boils down to well, how convenient is that for me? You know, uh, do I think I'm going to have have fun if I go there? Do I think what what what's what am I going to get out? You know, and that that's that's where my mind goes a lot. And, and, you know, we were just talking about, you know, the Lord's been doing a work in me, really, um, re, uh, opening my mind to the fact that, that, that church isn't an activity, but it's a body. It's a vital piece of me being able to serve the Lord by connecting my life with you all. And, uh, and, and we've got to shift that thinking to think, to think this is an opportunity to connect with a one-on-one uh, more intimate basis with my church, you know, and we've got to make those things a priority in our life. And that's how we begin to know each other and love each other. And that's why we're making an effort to, uh, to kind of stagger our small group activities this year with Sunday circles and the life groups and the curriculum based groups and, and, and we're re-implementing home groups this year. There's a reason for that because we need each other. We need to know each other. We need to love each other. We need to rely on each other. We need to have opportunities where we can have conversations. And I can say to you, man, I'm struggling with this. Uh, could you pray for me? Uh, will you come off to the side? I need to talk. You know, we need those relationships. And those relationships aren't built in rows. They're built in circles, right? And so I want to challenge you to be a, to make an effort this year, uh, a, a greater effort to be a part not only of of our our big corporate gatherings on the weekends in rows, but to be a part and to step out of your comfort zone and be a part of a circle as much as you can. So, um, let's go to chapter fourteen. Verse 15, it says, and there's, a, there's, there's two themes here. See if you can pick out uh, the, the two keys here that I'm going to kind of highlight about making Christ Lord. Um, verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going... Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped down to verse 21 if you're confused. I skipped from 17 to 21. I'm sorry. Um, So now we're in 22. I'm sorry. Uh, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and he will come and make our home with each of them. 
Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Now, there are two keys in this this passage to making Jesus our Lord. And not only making Him our Lord, but keeping Him in that position of Lord. The first one is this. It is a reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read two verses to you here. Um, Look back at 16. He says, And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit, and here's what he does, who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now. And later, and here's the key, this is where we are, because we're now in the new covenant, later will be in you. So he's in us leading us into all truth. And then look back down at 26. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So if we rely on our own willpower to obey God, we will fail over and over and over again. In fact, you know, I tell a lot of people, before I was saved, I was the worst kind of unbeliever because I was a religious unbeliever. And uh, so all I did, all I was doing over and over again was trying to uh, obey the commandments of the Bible in my own ability and by my own willpower And it was a a terrible cycle of frustration and failure and not understanding why I I just couldn't do it. But Acts 1.8 says that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. You see, when we are born again, the Holy Spirit of God indwells us and empowers us to obey Jesus. There is a power that is given to the believer, to obey and to, and here's the key, to love to obey Jesus that the unbeliever does not have. But the Apostle Paul identifies a problem. Uh, in Galatians five sixteen. he says this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lines, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Now, 524 of Galatians. Those who, are, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to, the, to his cross and crucified them there. Excuse me. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. 
So you see, we have in us, uh, even though we were created anew in Christ, the Bible is very clear that our, that our, that our sanctification is a process, that we have not arrived, that we will not arrive until Christ, either we die and we, and, and, and our spirit leaves this body or, or Christ comes back and, and, and we're resurrected with him. We will never get there. You will never stop sinning in this life because we have in us a remnant of the sin nature. And the, the Bible says here, Paul says that, that it wars with the Spirit of God on the inside of us that is leading us and empowering us to love, to obey Jesus' commandments. So here we have the Spirit of God empowering us, strengthening us, leading us, reminding us of what Christ has commanded, uh, causing us to love him most and to, to love to obey him. But on the other side, we have this nature that loves sin. And there's a conflict. That, sin, that sinful nature uh, bends us to disobey Jesus while the Spirit moves us to obey him. And in order to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, and here's the key, here's something that we miss so often, here's something that I forget to do so often, but in order to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, we must daily deny our sinful nature and pray that the Holy Spirit would produce his fruit in our lives. You know, Paul said, I die daily. He said, I crucify my flesh. And so it's something, it's something mentally, you know, that's, that's, that's what's uh, Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God that you will be ready, ready for the battle. You know, and, and so often, you know, we, 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 we wake up and we start our day and we, we get going without any thought of praying some type of prayer of, of Holy Spirit. I just want to submit myself to your rule and your reign today, and I pray that you would kill my flesh. I pray that you would give me grace to be all that I need to be, to be a husband, to be a father, to be a brother, to be a sister, to be a friend, to be a co-worker, uh, to be what I need to be today for you. Lord, do that in me today. It's, it's, it's a mindset, it's a shifting, it's a submission to that power that we have available. And I decide, I decide I'm going to trust in this rather than walk in this. Lord, help me. The second key in this passage from John 14 to make is, to making Jesus Christ our Lord, uh, he said something over and over again. He said, if you something, you will obey me. Does anybody know what it is? If you love me, yes. Look at, uh, let's, let's just run through here. Verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. Uh, verse 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them. So if you accept the commandments and obey the commandments, these are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Verse 23, 
Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And so this is very clear, right? It's very clear in this passage that there is a, there is a link between loving Jesus and obeying Jesus. Uh, and, and something, something interesting. Uh, we think that we're primarily intellectual. We think that as adults that we are moved by intellect and we are able to analyze things and make a logical decision based on that. But people in general, from children to adults, now as adults we've learned to, to harness it in a little bit more and, and control a little bit more and our, and our love shift. But people are not primarily thinkers. People are primarily lovers. Okay, let me explain that. Um, we will always do what we love. Always. No exceptions. Uh, that's why prior to being born again, we're called slaves to sin. Uh, the Bible says that without Jesus, before we know Christ, we have a nature inside of us that loves sin. That's why we're enslaved to it, because you're always doing what you love. And so the unbeliever who loves their sin always chooses sin and never chooses to obey Christ, at least not with the, the, the heart that he accepts, with an obedient, submitted heart. Um, the fact that we do what we love is why we choose our favorite dessert, even though it's not healthy for you. You know, you know that the uh, eclair is not good for you. You know that it's not good for your cholesterol. You know that it's probably going to make your stomach a little softer. But you know why you eat it? Because it tastes so good. And it makes you feel so good. And so you choose to do what you love because you love the way it makes you feel more than, the conse- more than you hate the consequences of it. Now, that's kind of a silly example. Um, now you may say, well, there's things that I don't love that I do. Uh, sometimes, for example, anybody ever not want to go to work? You ever, do you ever just, uh, Salome raises her hat. <laughs> so there's days, right? There's days where you just don't want to go to work, right? But most of the time, what do you do? You get up and you go to work, Right. Now, why do you, why do we, why do we do that? Why, why, why do we do something that we don't want to do if, if I'm saying that we only do what we love? Well, can I tell you that, that you love the paycheck that you get? You love the house that it allows you to live in. You love the car that it allows you to drive. You love the food that it allows you to eat more then you love the consequences of being unemployed. We're lovers. We do what we love. Um, New Year's, New Year's resolutions. Here we go. I don't do those, but uh, I try to, I try to 
I, I try to refocus on, on the good, the good things I'm already doing. And, and I guess I kind of do. Anyway, it's the time of resolutions, right? And we're all setting resolutions. So, uh, right now, some of you may be going on a diet. You may be foregoing that dessert that you love so much. Okay? And the reason that you are willing to forgo this cake that you love so much, pizza and, and uh, the like, is because you love and prefer the results of dieting and exercise and the way it makes you feel and the way it makes you look more than you love the immediate satisfaction that the food gives. But my point is, on the deepest levels, we are lovers. We are not thinkers. Now, if we understand this about ourselves, we can make the statement, and what Jesus is saying here makes a lot more sense, but we can make the statement that we will never obey Jesus unless we first love him. So the question is, how do we love a man in a book who lived 2,000 years ago? How do we do that? Well, the first thing is we got to be born again, right? We must be born again. And, and, and I say that to the believer in here, probably everybody in here, you know, we need to look back and realize that that is the first, that was the first vital step in our uh, spiritual walk to being able to love Jesus. We are now, we are, we are now able and empowered and, and, and given all the resources as believers that we need to love Jesus. Second Corinthians 4, 6 says this, for God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, the context of that is, is that it talks about how lost people can't see. It says it's like a veil <clears throat> is over their face. Uh, they don't believe because they cannot see the glory of of, of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They can't see. And, and what, 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 what Paul's saying here is, is that when, when, Christ, when God saved us, when we were born again, uh, just like he said in the darkness at creation, let there be light. He said, he said, let Laura see. And then she saw the beauty and the glory of the gospel as she believed. And so we're able, we're able, the blinders are off. You know, we, we no longer have the blinders and we can see Jesus as beautiful and wonderful and, and precious and awesome. <clears throat> and I just wanted to touch on this real quick. You know, there's, there, Jim, Jim preached a message a couple of weeks ago on Sunday, the outside looking in. And, uh, you know, it was, it was about um, people who are in church, but they're 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 not believers, you know. And and I just want to challenge you guys, uh, and and you know, like I said, this may not be for anybody in here, but <clears throat> as the church, we need to realize that Jesus said that on the day of judgment, many will come to me and say, "Lord, Lord." 
uh, I did this in your name. You know, I prophesy. It says people will come and say that they prophesied in Jesus' name, that they did miracles in Jesus' name, that they cast out demons in Jesus' name, and he's going to say, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who practice iniquity. And so we need to realize that, that in our church, that there are religious people who don't have this heart to obey Jesus. And, and you know, I, I just want to go here. You know, if anybody's sitting here and you're thinking, man, I've been a religious person for a long time, but I've never had this. I've never had a shift in my heart where uh, I, can, I can see, man, before uh, I was born again, I loved sin. But, man, after I was born again, my heart loved to obey Jesus. And, um, you know, if, 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 if anybody in here is that, or you're feeling that, or you're thinking that, or that rings true to you, um, you know, I just want to urge you to pray that God would give you a new heart, that he would change your heart to, to, to uh, cause you to love his commandments. Because what I said earlier, uh, you know, it's the truth. If we are saved, Christ will be at the, at the top of our lives. Now, at times he may come down, but we will not remain in that. He will, he will be our Lord. And, and secondly, I just want to raise our awareness that there are people, I believe, all that come here all the time on Sunday mornings who, who, who are, are sitting in the rows, who are, Lord, I, I raised my hands in your name. Lord, I sang in your name. Lord, I, I served in the church in your name. Um, but they may not be born again. And so let's just be aware of that, and let's be about the gospel in our church, you know? Um, so let's continue in John 15. Last passage of Scripture. <clears throat> One through eight. No skipping verses. Promise. I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, this is the one we read earlier, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. See, we love Jesus and thus obey Jesus by remaining in Him.
So the picture here is a fruit tree. The vine or the trunk, I say trunk because for me it helps the imagery better. Um, The trunk of the tree is Jesus. He's the one that's tied into the root. He is the life source. The branches are believers. And the fruit is obedience to his commands. The branch must be connected into the trunk in order to produce fruit. That's the picture. Likewise, we are connected to Jesus when we're saved. However, the branch must remain connected to the vine or it will stop producing fruit and wither. So you got an apple tree, right? And it's got a branch that produces apples. If you saw the branch off of the tree, no more apples, right? That's the picture, okay? This is remaining. So what does it mean to remain in Jesus? How do we take the picture and apply it to our lives? Uh, If we keep this in the context of the previous passage from Jesus' upper room discourse, remaining in Jesus, if remaining in Jesus equals obeying Jesus, then remaining is loving, okay? So, so you see how it kind of ties all together. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. One of the ones I read earlier, this is how we know that we know him, if we obey his commandments. Therefore, if we are to make Jesus our Lord, it should be our highest priority to do those things that create and foster and stoke love for Jesus in our lives. We need to identify what those things are. Now, there's, there's so many things, and I think, um, you know, I think there's some things that are, are, are important and key for everybody in the church. And then I think that there are some other things that may um, speak to you and, 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 and create love to you in a way that it doesn't do to me. And there's things that, that in my life uh, that it creates love in my life that, that maybe it doesn't speak to you so much. But let's kind of look at the ones that I, that I think everybody can kind of agree uh, belong to all of the church. Okay, So first, what I think the most important one is, Jesus kind of gives us some insight here. In verse 7, fifteen seven, he says, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. So let me pose something to you. If we want to be about the business of falling more in love with Jesus, if, 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 and, and ultimately, that plays up to if we want to make Jesus Christ our Lord, which is dependent on loving him, so if we want to be about the business of falling more in love with Jesus, then we need to be about the business of reading his word, of studying his word, of memorizing his word, and of meditating on his word. Very important. Now, some of you may be thinking right now, that oftentimes you've read God's Word and you haven't felt any affection, you haven't felt any um, benefit. Uh, It may even seem like an obligation 
uh, when you've gone and, and read God's Word. Um, I want to emphasize something here that um, study, memorization, and meditation on God's Word, um, those things should be done, if not in equal measure to reading, then more than reading, I think. Um, Let me show you why. There are, hold on, I'm lost. <laughs> so, uh, here, here's a couple of things. Study. Study's hard, right? You know, anybody can, can pick up and read, but, but here's, here's the deal. When you are, when you were in high school or you were in college and you had a test, you had an exam, uh, we, we didn't just pick up our book and read our book. We studied the material, right? And the reason for that is, is because reading the material doesn't properly prepare you for the test. And so let me postulate that, that, that our lives, you know, pa- Pastor Sam says there's always a test, right? And, and so when that test comes, we need the Word of God on the inside of us to guide our soul. We need the Holy Spirit to have uh, the, we need to have set the kindling, set the wood of the, of the Word of God in our hearts so that the Holy Spirit can light that on fire and the fire will be bigger and the fire will burn harder. So, uh, there's a lot of great resources online that are free, that are comprehensive, that have all kinds of different angles and, 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 reading preferences and, and all these things. And a great one, I'm going to plug one, is called Bible Hub. And Bible Hub has commentaries, it has concordances where you can look up Greek words and Hebrew words. And uh, that's where I found the word for Lord, kurios. Sounded pretty smart when I said that, right? You can sound smart too. Uh, all you have to do is be able to type and um, it'll bring you there, and, and there's just a bevy of resources there. There's notes, there's explanations, and, you know, one thing that I always think about is, is, is why would I recreate the wheel when I could stand on the shoulders of giants? You know, there's so many men and women who have dedicated their lives to the Word of God, who have spent hours on, on just, you know, a book or a chapter or a passage. And, and, and I can go and I can, I can mine their hours and hours of study and, and just reap the benefits. And so, uh, I would recommend that in your study. Find a resource that, that is, that is good and that you can go to and that can, uh, you know, it's a source that you trust and, um, and use those things and, uh, study the word. So, Bible Hub, awesome and free. Um, memorization and meditation are also key to having God's Word in us. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know why most people read the Bible fairly consistently, but very few people memorize and meditate on the Bible? You know? Because memorizing and meditating are hard. They're hard. They're difficult. You know, I can, I can 
I can hop in my bed and, and kind of, you know, skim through a chapter and, and close my eyes and forget about what I read and feel kind of good about myself. But, but memorizing and meditating are hard. They're difficult. They're work. They cause us to engage our mind. They cause us to, oh, Lord, think about what we're reading, you know, and, 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 and engage our minds into, into God's word. And, and it's hard. It is. It's very difficult. It's taxing on our minds. Um, but but it's, it's, it's what I've found is that in, in, in memorizing and meditating, there is deep treasure. There is deep wealth. There is, there is insight and, and, and depth of, of, of wells for, for water for your soul and, and that, that, that aren't found in simply in just reading. Now, reading's good. But like I said, the, these, these four should be a, a part of our consumption of the word. Reading, studying, memorizing, meditating. And um, so I want to share with you a method that I use for memorizing. Because I'm, I'm not a good memorizer. I don't have a good... I asked Laura, I can remember nothing from my childhood. Nothing. I, I have... It's like a big blank vacuum. And, and so my memory is not good... Stacey, it makes me feel good when you laugh at my jokes. I just want, to, I just want you to know that. Uh, <laughs> makes me warm on the inside. <laughs> um, it's very blank in there as far as memory goes. Like, before I was five, I got nothing. Like, zero. And we were talking about recess the other day. And, and I said, I remember, I know I went to recess, but I don't remember recess. It's gone. You know, and um, I just remember very few things about my childhood or teenage years or, gosh, uh, my memory is not good. But I found a method that works pretty good for a guy who's not good at memorizing. Okay, so I'm going to share it with you. I call it the five and five method. So what I do is I take the verse and I read it five times. Just read it. And then I, I, I try to recite it by memory five times. Now, a lot of times on the first and second, I'm kind of cheating, you know. And, uh, but then, but I'll, I'll recite it five times. When I finally have it five times by memory, if I, if it's a multi-passage, multi-verse passage, you go to the next verse, read it five, by memory five, got it. Then I put them together by memory five times. May have to cheat a little bit, but get it five times, and so on, you know, go to the third verse, read five, recite five, put them together, all together five, and it works. So you may, ten may work better for you, eight, four, three, but it's a, it's a, it's a really good kind of monotonous method, you know, but something crazy happens. Something really crazy happens, you know, you think, man, that sounds kind of method, method, methodological, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that sound, uh, I don't know about that, you know, but something crazy happens when you have scripture in memory, you know, um, let's say, um, you know, this never happens, but let's say you get in a fight with your wife and, and, uh, never, never happens. <laughs> Uh, and, and you get in a fight with your wife and, and, um, you know, you're tempted to, um, 
to to be rude and unforgiving because of the the disagreement and and then and then the lord speaks to you you must forgive others because i forgave you and it speaks to you um gosh i just had one in my head um i'll say another one uh husbands love your wives Christ loved the church, gave up his life for her. These things begin to, they're, they're in your mind and, they, and they, they sink down into your heart. And like I said, it's like, it's like uh, you set wood in the fireplace of your heart in preparation for the time that you needed. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit just ignites the wood and it takes life in your life. Where I'm telling you, you uh, you know your kids are are driving you crazy and 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 you you're you tempted to to be um, unfair with them. You're not going to go. Hmm. Let me see what my Bible says about that. Um, get my phone. I'll Google it. You know. You, we don't do that. We just don't. We just don't. You know. You just don't think that way. We're not going to take the time to do that. But when it's when it's stored in your mind and in your heart. The Holy Spirit can do some things that he can't do if it's not, you know. So I want to encourage you guys to, to, you know, I hear a verse I like in a sermon or in a podcast or or whatever, I, you know, I write it down. Sometimes I'll email it to myself. I have an electronic list that I keep, you know, I print it out every now and then and, and just sit down sometimes and memorize it. And so it's it's a good thing to do. And um, and then of course you you know I'll go back and review it here and there just to keep it there. So um, where am I uh, now? Memorization gets verses in our heads. Meditation is what really gets them down in our hearts. And um, meditation sounds kind of weird. But all meditation is, really, is taking a verse. It really helps to have it memorized. <laughs> you know, you take a verse, and, and you just go word by word. Think about what the words mean. You think about how the words work together. You think about, um, you know, just, just what is happening here. What is going on on here you know, um, they, they say they say a good example is if you if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Because worrying is thinking about a problem and being anxious about it over and over again. Meditation is thinking on a scripture over and over slowly, thinking of every uh, facet of it. Whoa, it's getting late. Um, I just heard a child in my daddy alarm went. Uh, so. A couple of other things. Uh, prayer. Prayer is another way that we remain in Jesus. Um, you don't know how to pray. Um, a lot of times, and the best way to pray, I think, is to pray the verse that you just read about, that you just memorized, that you just heard the sermon on. Because if we pray, the Bible says, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we can know that if we're praying the scriptures, 
that that is according to the will of God, and God will hear and God will answer that type of prayer. Um, I think too often we think that we need to inform God of everything that's going on in our lives. He already knows, you know. He, he knows. Uh, and, and, and so we pray according to his word. And you know what? If, if all else fails you, Jesus said uh, in Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, pray this, you know. And so he's given us a, a model, an outline of how to pray. But that's another sermon. Um, oh, I have an example. If we wanted to pray John 15, 1 through 8, we could pray something like this. Lord, I pray that you would help me to remain in Jesus and to do what is necessary to have his word remain in me. Lord, I pray that, that I would produce much fruit for your purposes and thus prove that I am a disciple of Jesus and bring you glory. Amen. That's a good prayer. That's a Bible prayer. And a Bible prayer is always a good prayer. Uh, another thing, worship. When we worship, we remain in Him because our heart connects to Him. And uh, I want to encourage you in your worship, you know, listen to God-honoring, biblically-based uh, lyrics. You know, there's some, there's some worship songs that are, that are uh, kind of get away from the gospel and from the characteristics of God. Those aren't the things, they may tickle our fancy emotionally, but those aren't the things that are going to build the Word of God inside of us and build a love for Jesus. And so we need to focus on, on those, those songs that, that are, are gospel-glorifying, that are Christ-glorifying, that are God-glorifying. Um, and just be careful that we're not listening to just music music that is trying to be worship music, but we're listening to things that honor the Lord. Um, Let's see. And the last thing is uh, being around other believers. And I talked about that a while ago. You know, we need each other. We need each other. How many times, you know, have you, have you been kind of down and you get around someone who is just enthused for the Lord and it lifts your soul? You know, how many times do you, do you, have you kind of lost your mojo and you see somebody who's, who's just on fire for the Lord and it, and it motivates you? And that's on every level um, in our lives. So being around others. And, and so, I, again, I just want to highlight, you know, that's, that's why we have not just our, our large corporate gatherings on, on Sunday mornings, but we have all these opportunities like Sunday circles, the men's and ladies' meetings, home groups, and all that stuff, it's because we're able to look at each other face to face and say, man, Jesus is doing this in my life. You know, isn't that awesome? And, 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 it, and it lifts our soul. Uh, or, or, man, I'm, I'm in the mud. Could you help me? Yeah, man, I can help you. You know, and, and, and so it's good. It's good to be around each other. We need each other. So uh, the key here is, to, is that we need to make figuring out what creates in us a greater love for Jesus, one of the highest priorities of our life. And then when we figure out those things that create in us a love for Christ, we need to make the highest priority in our life, making prime time to do those things, to do those things, to, 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 to get the word in us, to pray, to worship, to uh, come and gather with our church family and other believers who love the Lord.
So, quick summary, and then I'm done. Uh, two th- or two main things from the from this from this lesson: having Jesus as our Lord should be a priority in our lives because number one, our salvation depends on it, and secondly, it brings glory to God, which is the highest purpose in our life. Uh, and we make Jesus our Lord by daily relying on the power of the Holy Spirit and daily doing things that increase our love for Jesus. Let's pray. Yes, stand. We've been sitting a long time. Um, Father, we, we love you. We thank you for your word, Lord. We, we pray, God, that uh, more and more every day that you would be the Lord, the supreme authority, in our lives that drives us and leads us and commands what we do, Lord. And Father, we pray that you would uh, empower us by your Holy Spirit to gladly obey your commandments, Lord. And Father, we rely on that. We rely on your Spirit, Lord. And Father, we pray that you would give us grace to uh, be faithful in those things that create love for Jesus, Lord. Just like... um, in any other relationship, God, we, where you cultivate love by doing things with the, with the other person that creates love, Lord, I, I pray that, that we would begin to uh, make cultivating love and spending time in those things with Jesus a, a priority in our lives, Father. For, Lord, your, your word says that if, if we love you, that we will obey you, Lord. So, Father, we pray that you would give us Uh, just a genuine and a deep and a true love for Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.